Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 11. You are going to love this episode because for one, this story is so big, and two, Christine Garvin is just impossible not to love. I knew Christine really only casually as she was going through the health crisis that you're about to hear about. And as I've watched her and gotten to know this woman, I truly see Christine and this story as the epitome of an example of women's strength and truly how it's possible to alchemize even our deepest traumas. It's possible to turn our suffering into gold and the truth that guides us. And Christine lives this, and it's an honor that she would share her story here today. And after you've listened, please remember to go subscribe, rate, and review this episode wherever you listen to podcasts. I wonder if you can do this today. You know that that's how you show love for a podcast, and also that's how you share your requests and suggestions. And I love hearing from you. Now, episode 11. Hello, and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are, with me as your host, Sarah Poet. Now, if the word sacred is throwing you a little bit, that's okay. Have you had that moment as a modern woman where you went, wait, I left something of myself back there along the way? Well, if so, then you're already on a path of sacred remembering and you're actually in the right place. We know that modern women are rising, but we don't do it by fighting. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. And here in this space, we remember together through stories and tools and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Now let's begin. Today's guest, Christine Garvin, is a functional health coach based in Asheville, North Carolina, with the education and personal experience that make her outstanding in her field. She weaves together her personal health journey, including a fibroid surgery that nearly killed her with 16 years of training in holistic health, nutrition, hormones, and functional lab testing to help women heal their gut and achieve hormonal balance. She sees clients all over the world, and she offers online gut and hormonal healing programs as well. Find out more at christinegarvin.com. Hi, Christine. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Thank you for being here. And I am so excited for our listeners and also on a personal level for everything we're about to gain from all of your wisdom on this topic um, of hormonal health and gut health and being a woman in the body and being well-educated about the bodies that we're in. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. (laughs) It's a lot of stuff. And I feel like, I personally feel like we dabble in it, but, you know, how deep do we go until maybe something goes wrong? Absolutely. Um, and, And you're here to talk about that. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in the world right now? Sure. Yeah. From you. Yeah. So my main focus these days, well, I'll first say that I I call myself a functional health coach. 
And um, I, I used to go by whole health coach and why it's moved to the functional aspect is because I recently had training in um, functional lab testing for the gut. And I think that this is for me so important and, you know, we'll go into my journey and everything here in a little while, but um, I believe that, you know, functional medicine and I don't practice functional medicine, but functional health and nutrition is, you know, very much aligned with, with functional medicine. And that's really kind of bridging the two worlds of, you know, quote unquote, alternative health and then um, sort of science with this very concrete Um, testing that we can do that goes far beyond kind of what, you know, traditional lab testing will show you. So we can really get to the root cause of issues going on. And, you know, gut health underlies everything. So I have women come to me for hormone health, which is, you know, my other quote unquote specialty. But really, I always have to tackle the gut ultimately, usually first. I mean, you know, sometimes you can kind of do the two simultaneously, but really taking care of the gut is going to take care of a lot of the hormonal issues. And this is something that I feel like we're, you know, we just haven't, we haven't been taught. And it's kind of, it's kind of cutting edge in some ways. And then also you look back 30 years to, you know, holistic health and and alternative health, and they've been saying that for a long time. Mm. And so the science is kind of, you know, the research is kind of just catching up with that in a big way. And that's why I love this world of bridging these, these two worlds, you know? Thank you for bridging it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's something that I, I got my master's in holistic health education 15 years ago now. Um, and really, I felt a missing piece, you know, in, in my work. And, and this isn't work that I've done that entire 15 years, but um, that I've done for different parts of that time. But the missing piece was really having kind of this concrete evidence. And I see it as, yeah, this beautiful, you know, combination of being really grounded and then really connecting to spirit. And using so many of the wonderful traditional methods that we know, you know, that have been around for centuries in multiple cultures, um, who knew in a lot of ways, a lot more than we know now, but bridging that and using those things and then saying, okay, well here we know that, you know, your nutrient levels are, are not doing well here or your hormones are doing this. So we know exactly what to do, you know, to support them and then using both of those. So that's really the work that I do now with women. Um, and I, I love it. Just this morning, you know, I got uh, some test results from the Dutch test, which is my, my favorite hormone pa- panel. It's a dried urine panel and it just tells you so much information. And I, I'm just giddy opening it and looking at it, right? Because I'm like, we can really get to some of the root stuff here. Right. Because yeah. there's just this underlying suffering often mm-hmm. that we don't know where it's coming from and we're trying this supplement or that supplement or this diet elimination or that diet elimination. And so, yeah, thank you for talking about the science of it. And I really respect that about your work is that you're always hungry for the science and integrating that into your coaching. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea that 15 years ago you got a master's. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So this has been your path for a long time, but then you also had this personal experience. Yeah. Um, in yeah. your own body that was massive tragedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you would you say? Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. a little bit, yeah. Just a little bit of tragedy. <laughs> and and yeah, so please, you know, to the degree that you're comfortable, share that story with us because it um 
it fascinates me kind of from a meta level of how, what we are here to do and how we're here to do it. Like life will give us all we need and sometimes the most unpleasant of packages. But here you are following this, this path. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then. Well, I'll start out by saying the reason that I did my master's in holistic health education in the first place was because I had, I guess my first major, you know, health crisis at at 23. And um, without going into a whole long spiel about that, you know, it basically, I finally connected it over time to these three rounds of antibiotics that I took in college for strep throat. You know, nobody knew anything or nobody was really talking about good bacteria and replenishing that post-antibiotics back then, you know, or at least not the circles I ran in. And so that, you know, as I tell people, kind of made my um, stomach just like break wide open right after I graduated from college because, you know, the stress of sort of what am I going to do with my life compounded with that. And that really set me on this journey of, you know, trying to figure out, you know, I went to the regular doctor and they said, oh, you're, you have, allergies going on. And I was like, I know that there's something more here and I didn't want to take allergy medicine. And that really took me on this path of starting to understand gut health, starting to understand adrenal stuff. And so I, you know, I dove into this master's program and I actually did a separate nutrition educator program because the nutrition component was so important to me, you know. And then I was seeing clients and doing that work. Um, You know, I even worked at Cliff Bar um, for a while when I was, um, just finishing the program and starting out. And I really went through, uh, my own sort of crisis then too, of body image issues that came up in such a big way, you know, starting to work with people. And also this sort of constricted feeling around the nutrition aspect, you know, I was not feeling like, let's break this down into macros, like how much protein you're getting, how much carbs you're getting, you know, what your calories are a day and all of in fat and everything. And, and so I really, you know, kind of quickly shied away from doing that work. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Asheville and I'd always been a dancer and, you know, life kind of pushed me into this realm finally of accepting, uh, teaching dance. Cause I'd really, I danced in the Bay area, but I had always refused to teach. I was like, no, no, I'm not teaching. I'm good. <laughs> you know, I like, I love performing and, and all that stuff. So seven years later, is when the kind of second health crisis happened. Mm. And, you know, kind of going back to what you're saying, it's like life will push us into these things if we haven't really heeded the calls, right? And I'd had a nice little gentle tap from the universe for a few years before this happened, you know. And I don't want to take anything away from my time teaching dance and performing because I loved it. And it really prepared me in a way for this next stage of my life that nothing else could have, right? Mm. To really step into the role of teacher, to really step into the role of um, working with women and supporting them and, and helping to build them up, you know. But but my body was also saying, okay, this isn't this isn't it. There, there's more. And really bringing back all of what I had learned in my 20s and my master's program and all of the health work that I continued to do myself, you know, and I thought I was doing pretty well. <laughs> like I felt pretty good when it comes to, you know, my period. It had been, I mean, my cycle was perfect for about seven years, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd had really horrific cycles 
particularly, you know, as a teenager, um, I'd gone on birth control in my early 20s. And, you know, that helped quote unquote regulate it. I now know that that's not what it does. But at the time I felt that and then I got off of it and through dietary changes and everything, I really, you know, had had done what I felt like was a tremendous amount of work and I was doing well. Then suddenly I had, you know, my period coming five days earlier, one month. And then the next month it was five Mm -hmm. days earlier than that. And I was starting to just bleed profusely. And this is something that I, you know, will just put a fine point on if that's happening Please to you, you know, any of anyone listening, like, please go to your doctor and, and get checked out and, and kind of demand that they give you an ultrasound because a lot of times they won't, they'll just say, Oh, let's put you on birth control. That's the first go to. Let's just regulate the period. Yeah. Right. Which it isn't really doing that, you know? Uh Um, and so I finally, one month, you know, I just figured, because I was 38, I guess, at the time, I figured out I was going into perimenopause, right? Yeah. And so for people that don't know what perimenopause is, in some ways, I think it's almost, uh, it, it's more intense for a lot of women than actual menopause is. And for so long, we've just kind of known as this time in the future, you know, menopause, like when you're old and you'll hit that and it's going to be a really bad year or something like that. But in actuality, menopause for many women isn't that bad. It's the time leading up to it, which is perimenopause. And that can last anywhere from three years to like 10 years. Wow. And a lot of women start to go into perimenopausal, you know, states, if you want to call it, like in their late 30s. And this is something else doctors are not talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that starts happening is your progesterone levels start uh, going down. And your estrogen starts getting a little wonky. So often your estrogen will start going higher. And this can cause a whole host of problems, including what I ended up finding out that I had, which was a fibroid. And the fibroid was causing this massive blood loss per month. Mm. Um, It was causing my, you know, cycle to become completely irregular. And the other thing that was kind of a joke because we didn't know what it was, but my coccyx bone, which is, you know, the sort of end of your tailbone was sticking out. And when I was out toward the back, towards the back. Exactly. And so, you know, when I was teaching dance and we'd get down on the floor, you know, on a yoga mat to do um, some stretches and stuff, I couldn't really sit down on it. And I, I couldn't like easily move back and forth on my Mm. booty because the thing was sticking out and it was a big joke that I was growing a tail, right? Come to find out the fibroid was kind of the placement of it on my uterus. Wow. Pushing pushing it out. Yeah. And this is what fibroids can do. And, you know, just as a quick note for people that haven't heard of fibroids, because I don't know about them. No, I don't know about them. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's an, it's a non-cancerous tumor. So I will say that, you know, that I think the, the rate is 0.5% or less of the time is it cancerous. Um, So it's, you know, it's almost never cancerous, but it's a tumor and it grows very quickly with an estrogen dominant situation. Okay. So, you know, there, um, the statistics right now is that up to 80% of women will have a fibroid by the time they're 50. Mm. Um, Some places say that 90% of African-American women will have them. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I hear those statistics and I'm like, that's an epidemic. Like, why are we not talking about this? You know? Right. Um, and for some women, they'll never know that they have them. 
because mm-hmm. they don't grow that big. They, the placement in the uterus doesn't actually impact them in any way. But, you know, other women will experience what I did and even worse. Yeah. So okay. I found mine when um, I was putting my diva cup in one month um, and I couldn't get it all the way in. And so I was like, what is going on? You know, yeah. and something was blocking in the back. And so I found it. And, you know, of course you go to, to cancer in your brain. Yeah. But then I ended up finding it out. It was a fibroid. And the first thing that they wanted to do was put me on an estrogen blocker. Right. Mm. So they get that estrogen feeds them, but that this is kind of your option getting on an estrogen blocker, which will put you into early menopause. Okay. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. You know, yeah. I know the issues with that. And then the other option is surgery. And the thing that they, you know, at a certain size of fibroid, they'll, they'll guide you towards surgery. And mine was, I think, six centimeters when mm-hmm. they found it, which is about the size of a lemon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up with a wonderful OBGYN that I was referred to. And, you know, I had already talked to a few people and learned about a, a surgery called myomectomy, which is when they go in and just remove the fibroid. So they leave, you know, your uterus intact. Um, But interestingly enough, I still, I I think she even mentioned hysterectomy, but when I finally went to a surgeon who um, specializes in laparoscopic um, gynecological surgeries, she even pushed me towards a hysterectomy. And I find this with so many clients. It's like the Mm -hmm. second that a fibroid is found, the doctors push for hysterectomies, particularly Mm -hmm. of a certain age, if you know you don't want any more kids, they're like, just get it out. It's like the whole purpose of having a uterus is just to have children, you know? Wow. And I mean, that frustrated me before I even knew what I know now, you know? Yeah. And I mean, some of the things that the uterus is important for that we're determining, you know, is brain function over the long haul, like wow. particularly 10 to 20 years after menopause. And, you know, that we also know that, um, that our hormones are so impactful on bone loss. And that's one of the reasons that so many women have osteoporosis later in life is because that Mm -hmm. estrogen drop. And they'll tell you, you know, often with hysterectomies, they'll leave the ovaries, but they say that, you know, your, your um, hormones will continue to be produced at adequate levels with your ovaries. But I don't find that that's always the case with women. They usually end up having some, you know, early menopausal symptoms, not everybody but quite a few. Makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, here we are in the situation where women are being pushed to do hysterectomies, which is the number one surgery for women in the United States. Mm. And we're not talking about the repercussions of that. We're not talking about the, this notion that like our body parts are just superfluous, you know, like that that we can get rid of these, especially in this female. Yeah. Right. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. It's deep, right? And I mean, we're learning now that, you know, basically all studies on women's, you know, issues, women's health issues have been, you know, done on men (laughs) until until 2015. Yeah. There was a huge article about this a few months ago. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. Wow. Yeah. All the studies are done on men. (laughs) Like uh, we kind of knew that around regular medication, but even on women's issues, they had been done on men until 2015. And to me, it's just, it's insane because we don't even know how many, you know, many things in this, in our bodies that, you know, our uterus like impact, 
Yeah. I'm just, I'm blown away by this. Yeah. I mean, and I wish, like, I wish I was more surprised, but yeah, I'm just yeah. sitting here dumbfounded. Which yeah. Is looking, okay. And All that's, right. so, yeah. Go I just want to say just, you know, that's why I want to educate women on this because none of us do. I didn't know any of this stuff before I went through what I went through, you know? Right. And I really love about you that each and every step of the way you're like, hold on while I go home <laughs> and research the heck out of it. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So she says you should have a hysterectomy. And then yep. what did you say? Well, you know, at that point I had done enough research on the myomectomy. I'd actually talked to, I think I ended up talking to about 10 women who had had it done. And, you know, it's laparoscopic, which means they just do like three or four small incisions. And downtime is really two weeks. Um, And, you know, I was teaching dance still at that point. And so I just needed my downtime to be Two weeks. Exactly. You know, minimal. And um, it's funny because I actually looked forward to it in a way. And this is kind of an indication to me, right? It's like, it was this break that was coming up for me, this kind of forced break. And I think a lot of women want that, but they don't, you know, they don't want that in that way, but they can't disengage themselves from their life unless they're forced to. Right. And there's this weird underlying, like, Oh my God, I get to just like lay in bed for a week or whatever it is, you know, relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know one woman that that's not true for on some level. Yeah. Um, even if, you know, we go kicking and screaming into it, um, because we're so pushed by our culture to keep going, you know? And so it's like, we have to be forced, especially if you have kids and and all those things. But anyway, so I decided, you know, on the myomectomy and everything was going to be great. And then I went and I did that in June of last year and, uh, 2018. Yep. Yep. I'm sorry. Almost. Yeah. A little over a year and a half ago. So, um, And I came out of that. I had to spend the night in the hospital. And, you know, I will say something happened the next morning that gave me pause. Um, I was actually getting ready to check out of the hospital and I got so nauseous and I had to, you know, I went to the bathroom and um, I was just dry heaving because I didn't really have anything in my body. Mm -hmm. And it hurt so bad in my body that I was like, I can't imagine this pain was just just from me coughing. They had to like, actually they'd already taken my IV out. They had to IV me back up to give me pain meds and all this stuff. And, um, just in that moment, I just felt like something was wrong, but then I'd never had surgery before. So I just assumed, you know, and abdominal surgery is going to hurt no matter what, even when it's laparoscopic. So I went home and, you know, I'm, I'm at my house and my mom actually stayed with me um, to help take care of me. And the first couple of days you're going to be struggling anyway after a surgery, yeah. you know. But, you know, what happened with me, I can look back now, is I was really, I was getting progressively worse. Yeah. You know, I, it was weird because I was coming alive in some ways because I wasn't really doing pain meds that much because I didn't want to take those. Um, and so the early part of my day, I, I would wake up and be like, okay, I'm starting to feel better. But then mm-hmm. halfway through the day, I was just feeling worse. I couldn't even, you know, I didn't really leave my apartment at all. We took like short walks around the apartment complex, but I could barely walk. And then I started getting nauseous off of just water, you know, and I was barely eating at this point anyway. This is like a weekend. This is probably, yeah, probably about five or six days in. And I actually saw you. Yeah. In that time. I was trying to remember if I came. 
during that time or after you? No, you came during that time. And it's, it's very fascinating. And because you definitely noticed some stuff on the right side of my body. Yeah. So I was doing, I did like a, I brought my table and did a energy treatment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, just because you couldn't, you weren't feeling better. Yeah. I was like, I'll bring the table. We'll see what we can do. And there was this sense of something. Something going on. Yeah. And you really, you know, you really nailed it. And it's like looking back, I mean, I, I wish of course, I wish a lot of things, but you know, that, um, mm. there was elements of fear, I think for me. Um, and just also this, this is another thing that women do, right. We push through, yeah. we just, we're like, you know, I'm just, my body's being slow. I got to push through. I got, you know, and that, that really resided deeply with me in me. I, I'm like, I'm strong. I, you know, mm. Yeah. And so finally, I mean, given I was still talking to the nurses where I'd gotten the, um, the surgery done, you know, and they were saying things like, I mean, the first one, they changed my pain medication. And you know, the second time they, they didn't get back to me right away. And this is with the nausea. So I was taking over the counter medication, but then the third time, you know, basically one of my incisions had raised. So I knew at that point, like the body is definitely telling yeah. me, okay, there's an infection here, you know? Mm-hmm. And they actually told me, oh, it's probably scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. massage it. Right. And I wanted that to be true so bad. And that was the day before. So by that night, it had raised even more and mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep. You know, at this point, I was getting up four times a night to take a hot shower because that was literally the only mm-hmm. thing that would calm my body down a little bit. Mm-hmm. My mom was giving me intense massages. Like there was just, you know, it, this pain was kind of consistent. And so I didn't sleep at all that night. I got up in the morning and, and I said to my mom, you know, let's go to, there's the Sona clinic, which is kind of an urgent care center right near my house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know I have an infection. I'm going to have to take some antibiotics, you know, and I remember being like upset about that. <laughs> Little did I know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I get there and I'm really lucky because the doctor there um, kind of took lo- one look at me and knew I had sepsis. Wow. And, you know, basically it, what's interesting is that my heart rate, excuse me, my blood pressure and my temperature were normal, but my heart rate was accelerated. And I learned later that that you're already further along in sepsis when your, mm. your temperature regulates and your blood um, pressure regulates. Wow. So he looked at me combined with the heart, you know, the high heart rate, resting heart rate. And he said, I'm going to need you to go directly to mission. And he was like, I'm actually going to call them and tell them what's going on. And they're coming. And so then we knew, right. We knew something was really wrong. And I ended up in being in the ER all day. They did a multitude of tests, you know, CT scans, and they found on the right side of my body, which is where you had, you know, found that things were happening. Um, it was actually my abdominal cavity was full of stool and bacteria and liquid that was dumping out from my colon, you know. So it had been nicked. Yeah. Well, so what actually happened, well... We don't, we don't know the full story, but okay. the, the, the hypothesis is burns. Okay. So this is a little different than what happens to a lot of women. And I can talk more about, you know, being nicked here in a minute, but um, yeah, there were actually what ended up happening that night. They had to cut me open because they were like, we have to figure out where, how yeah. this is, you know, dumping into your abdominal cavity. And uh, plus I still had so much, they couldn't clean me out, you know, without opening me up. And they found three burns. So 
one on my small intestine, kind of near the bottom, and then one on my colon. And that was all near the site where they went in for the, okay. the myomectomy. And then I had the third one up on my transverse colon, which is higher up on the body, hmm. which is kind of, we don't know. You Nobody know. So knows why. Okay. Yeah, my, my OBGYN, um, her hypothesis is that the, um, they use a heated tool to cut up the fibroid and that sparks flew off the tool. Oh, wow. And so essentially that there were small microscopic kind of burns that happened during the surgery that got worse over the two weeks. It, yeah. As you can imagine, if you had like a cut on your hand and you didn't clean it up or put a Band-Aid on it and yeah. there was things scraping across it for, you know, two weeks, it's going to yeah. get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And so that's the hypothesis of what happened. Okay. And so, yeah, basically, you know, at that point, things are dumping into your abdominal cavity that shouldn't be there. Your body's fighting it tooth and nail, and then sepsis will end up developing. And I'm really lucky because they basically caught it bef- right before um, organ, the sepsis will start to- shutting down your organs. Sure. Yeah. 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 So you were pretty far along. Yeah. The doctors told my parents um, that if it had been another day, I probably would have been dead. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so this is pretty common. Or, I mean, you speak out about women educating themselves, Mm -hmm. ourselves on these surgeries Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that often actually result in accidents. Yeah. So what I will say what happened to me is what I would call unique in terms of I haven't met another woman that's been burned during a surgery. But what does happen a lot is what we, you know, talked about a minute ago is being quote unquote nicked. Okay. So, you know, if you look at the um, kind of how things are set up in our pelvic floor, right? Everything's really close in there. Your colon is very close to your uterus and your bladder. And so when they go in, you know, some people debate if it's worth worse with laparoscopic versus if they cut you open and they can see what they're doing more. Um, but I've, I've read the studies and it's actually a pretty similar rate of how often this, that happens, um, you know, depending mm. on if it's open or laparoscopic. But because things are so close and they're using, you know, instruments to sort of cut things, it can, it can quote unquote, like if you were like, you know, cutting something and you accidentally nick your finger. Right. Same kind of deal. Right. And I really learned this, how common this was once I, I ended up having an ostomy because of the situation. Right. Um, because they had to let my colon heal for about six months and I joined an ostomy support group and most people in there are there because of things like Crohn's or diverticulitis, you know, these, um, colon issues that they have to have uh, rest for. But if they weren't, it was women that were in there because of gynecological surgeries gone awry, as I call it. Yeah. So accidental nicking in their colon or their bladder or, you know, sometimes multiple places, fistulas developing, which is um, essentially kind of a a hole that will go from your anus to your vagina. Mm Mm-hmm which is super scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this can happen during C-sections. This can happen during hysterectomies. It can happen during myomectomies. Mm. And I, this is a well-known complication that I feel like is glossed over quite a bit, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And particularly, and it's funny because I actually do remember my surgeon 
saying this, you know, mm. as, as a comp- possible complication. And I, I remember the rate being kind of surprising to me. And I was like, well, what happens if that happens? And she said, well, sometimes you have to do more surgery. But that's all she said. She didn't mention anything about possibly having to have an ostomy bag, yeah. you know, which is almost always what happens if wow. they nick them with, you know, a woman without see- noticing during it. Um, and, you know, yeah, there's so many levels to it that kind of astounds me um, that, that we're not talking about what to look for. Like if I had been told that, right. you know, happen. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. those nurses should have told me to go to the ER. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, they knew. Well, you know, I don't want to jump on every, you know, doctor or surgeon's case, but I do hear a lot that they will think that people um, inflate their pain, mm-hmm. particularly women, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that they're just that we're kind of being babies about it, you mm-hmm. know, and so they'll kind of usually go to this place of like, oh, well, it's this or that, you know, rather than being like, okay, you need to go get checked out. There could be something serious. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly where I went without giving the name, it is one of the premier gynecological surgery centers in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people travel to go get surgeries there. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they should have it set up because your, your follow-up is three weeks after your surgery. Okay. It needs to be sooner. I would have been dead at three weeks. Right. Why wow. can't they set up, make you have to go see your, your regular doctor or OBGYN four days after, yeah, you right. know? Yeah. That so you had the, uh, yeah. So you had this ostomy bag for six months? Longer? Six and a half months. Yeah. Six and a half mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. And then um, you were able to have a reversal. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But luckily I was able to have a reversal. That's not always true for people. You know, yeah. it kind of depends on the damage. It depends on the scar tissue that forms. And sometimes they don't really know with scar tissue until they go in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I definitely did a lot of work in terms of herbs and things like that to fight off scar yeah. tissue, you know, using some of the things like castor oil packs that I recommend mm-hmm. for women in general. But particularly if you've had, you know, a C-section and things like that, like you're going to have scar tissue. And so to do use some of those things now, even if it's years later, to help mm-hmm. break down that scar tissue, because mm-hmm. it can attach to your colon, it can cause other issues, you know, so Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing the story and the wisdom. And I know that there, there's just so much that you've learned. I'm wondering if you can share, um, this was such a profound experience and I know it probably changed your life in so, so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, what's maybe the one or two greatest ways that this has changed your life. And, And, you know, it seems to have something to do with your work as well. So, Absolutely. Will you, you speak to that? Like yeah. how, how did this really shadowy experience also transmute into um, where you are now? Yeah. I mean, it definitely changed everything for sure. You know? Um, yeah. Cause it wasn't like two weeks and then I'm going to go be a dance teacher again. No. It, I mean, that was the end of my dance career really. Okay. You know, I mean, at this point I could technically dance again, probably, although there's a lot I still couldn't do because once you've had four abdominal surgeries in, you know, yeah. less than seven months, it does 
a number. I mean, I had, I've just done five months of um, pelvic floor therapy to help rebuild my core safely, which I highly recommend for any woman that's had any gyno surgery. Um, But yeah, I, you know, dance was over. Um, The one thing that I feel lucky about, um, there's a couple of things I feel lucky about in the situation, but probably the biggest one was the clarity that kind of settled in pretty quickly after all of this went down. You know, it was, as I mentioned earlier, the universe has been kind of tapping me slightly for a while and really, you know, guiding me back towards working with women in this uh, uh, more in-depth way, right? Mm -hmm. In this more personal in-depth way, um, because I think that we, we need that so much right now, right? Women need the support um, because our bodies are drained. We're yeah. overwhelmed. There's way too much on our plate. Yeah. There's this disconnection from our body. There's this giving over of ourselves to everyone else first, you know, and, you know, the cultural impact of that. And I think the ancestral impact, we're carrying that from yeah. Our mothers and our mothers' mothers, you know, mm-hmm. and now is a time where our bodies are like, hello, like yeah. you got to focus on you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was lucky, I think, in the work that I had done, you know, on a, I guess, spiritual level in the years leading up to this situation that I saw that pretty quickly. I saw, mm-hmm. okay, you know, to me, I mean, there's so many ways I could go with this, but why did I have the fibroid in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know? And this thing is so common in women, right? And it's this kind of uncontrolled growth that happens, seemingly out of the blue. But really, you know, I mean, taking out the hormones, which is a huge part of it, but our hormones are so impacted by our stress levels, by our, you know, constant give, 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 and not taking enough for ourselves. And I could see that with my fibroid. You know, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because I don't have kids, I'm not married, so I didn't give over myself in those ways, but really my work. Mm-hmm. I gave too much to my work without setting enough boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that's the key, right? So the, the boundaries. boundaries. Yeah. So no matter what the issue is, whether it's with your family, whether it's your your lover, whether it's whatever, you know, is setting boundaries where you feel like you are um, giving, getting back what you're giving. Mm. So it's not the specific amount, right? It's about how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that's why we each kind of have to figure that out for ourselves, Mm. what that looks like, you know, but particularly, I mean, I know, you know, this as an entrepreneur and, you know, any other entrepreneur women out there, it's like, we feel like we have to give to our work non-stop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The building, the building, the building. And, you know, it is obviously a growth like no other, and we're going to have to push our edges a lot, but we really have to, for ourselves, set those boundaries in stone because otherwise we're just going to be super depleted. Yeah. And, you know, I see this, this fibroids is really kind of the, um, it's, showing you your depletion in a way. And it's like, I don't want to call it a monster because I don't think about that, but it's this, like I said, uncontrolled growth that happens when we're out of balance. And, and that's the reason that it's happening universally. You're saying, I believe so. You know, I, you know, I mean, it's so hard to, to say like, if this was happening 30 years ago, because of women, (laughs) 
weren't, you know, I mean, the, the research and, and keeping up with that kind of stuff on women is, I mean, I'm in the every day, I'm in PubMed every day reading, you know, mm. every study out there. And I mean, it's just, it's insane to me, you know, but we're in a time right now where that is growing tremendously that we're, we're learning so much more about women and finally, you know, researching, but absolutely. I think that, you know, that the fibroids are happening as a wake up call if we choose to, to take it, you know, and, and I, every, um, I'm in several fibroid support groups and, you know, people obviously want to know the magic pill. We all want to know the magic pill, you know, I I have some magic pill questions for you right now. Okay. Well, (laughs) we can, I can have a little bit on that, but, (laughs) but, you know, it's like, do I, if I drink the celery juice, will it, you know, diminish my fibroid, you know? And it's like, it really is a full body, mind, spirit, soul thing you got to do, right? That it's calling you to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of in another layer of this right now. <laughs> I find it not at all surprising that every podcast I, you know, that, that we're doing lately, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm mm-hmm. experiencing that too. Mm-hmm. And we all are, you know, mm-hmm. but this relationship that we have with our bodies and our health and our hormones and our gut, because I got both going on. It's like mm-hmm. gut, hormone. I want to talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I want you to talk to us about that because sure. it's so, I, I'm like, wait, I don't know enough about this. Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, I've known a lot about gut health and, mm-hmm. um, and hormonal health as well. And yet there's like, there's a connection here that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say was, you know, as women, I think that you've touched on this, but we give, we give over so much and then we want, I'm speaking from my current experience. Mm -hmm. We want to kind of get away with not having to go the whole way, Mm. um, in our healing, in our like really claiming, um, this is what I know I need to do, you know? And, And for me, it was like, you know, um, wine, I had had not drank wine for a long time. And then a friend gifted, he's a wine distributor. He gifted me a case of this like delicious organic red wine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like drinking more wine. And, um, and I was telling myself that I could, but my body was like, stop. You, you just can't get away with this anymore. And my sleep was off. You know, I was like more foggy headed in the morning. My stomach hurts more. And yet I was doing it anyway. And I think that there was, there was this like, I don't know if it's attachment to suffering. I don't know if it's like, I, I don't want to go the whole way in my evolution, but what, what you were just saying, like, we have to go all in. And that's, I mean, my stomach got worse before it got better. I also didn't a round of antibiotics this year, which I've not done in so, so long, but yeah, I just found myself in this place of like, Oh, I cannot cut corners anymore. Right. I'm not allowed. Yeah. If I want to, you know, be who I came to be and (laughs) hold this vibration, so to speak, like I can't get away with this shit anymore. Absolutely. Um, Yep. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I've been sitting here smiling the whole time you're talking because uh, honestly, the hardest thing I have to tell my clients is to cut back on alcohol. (laughs) You know, and I think that, I mean, I get it because we're so stressed and we're so going, going. It's the only like 
bring it down thing that we have, you know, to, to kind of like just breathe at the end of our day. Right. And I mean, I get it from a personal standpoint. Like I feel like I've kind of struggled, you know, with this on and off for years, you know, because our bodies as women, it, it makes, it's a lot harder during perimenopause Mm. deal with alcohol, you know, and, um, just a little, as a little side note, you know, part of this whole hormone gut thing is liver health, right? Liver health is very, very important. So if you are having alcohol, that's going to go to the top of the line for your liver to detox, right? It's Mm because, I mean, you know, I, I don't like to classify anything as like fully good or bad, but it is a poison to our body that our body has to detoxify in mm-hmm. our liver. You know, this mm-hmm. is all scientific knowledge. And that goes to the front of the line because it's really important for that to happen right away. Caffeine goes up there, you know, um, uh, over-the-counter drugs, um, you know, any kind of prescription drugs, those kinds of things. It's going to go to the front of the line. But something a lot of people don't realize is we have to detox estrogen, because estrogen can essentially act like a poison to our body if if it's not detoxed, right? And removed extra estrogen out of our body. And that will go to the back of the line if mm. you are, you know, consuming alcohol on a consistent mm. basis. So this is one of the big components of why estrogen, you know, starts to become dominant during our perimenopausal years. If your liver is not working at full capacity, that estrogen's hanging out in the back and it's, it's basically being recycled through your body, right? And your progesterone levels are starting to go down naturally. So then you have this estrogen dominant situation where, you know, estrogen dominance oversees things like, I mean, PMS issues come from estrogen dominance, heavy bleeding, you know, horrible cramps, long periods, all of those Mm. kinds of things. And it just, as we age, that, you know, with, that's going to become an issue, but it, it's really hard to take away, I get it, that wine and take away, you know, or those, those coping mechanisms. Yeah. Well, it's like, we live in this status quo, mm-hmm. you know, and then I think as we're waking up, you know, mm-hmm. to, to the truth of who we are, mm-hmm. that's what the podcast is about, we start to like re- recognize what about that status quo isn't working mm-hmm. and we ease off on some things like, mm-hmm you know, we don't need to eat white sugar anymore. We're mm-hmm. pretty clear on that. Like just generally, you know? Yeah. And, and yet it's like, it really was for me or still presently is like, I just want to be able to do it sometimes. I just, wanna, oh, yeah. you know, like I want to be able to get away with it without having all of these physical effects. And so I think I was just, I don't know, like, a, like an addict or something like those tendencies of, um, I'm just going to try it to get away with it and see what happens. Yeah. I'm just going to, you know, yeah. and then oh, yeah. just stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I get it. Cause I feel like there's like the bad girl in me that still needs a little bit of something. Yeah. Something. No, I fully understand that from a personal perspective. I understand it from sort of the collective perspective that women just need a break. Yeah. And that's kind of the easy go-to that most of us have been able to do for our adult life. And right. it was okay. Right. And suddenly it's not okay, you know? Right. And and so we're sort of stuck in this, well, what do you replace it with? You well, know? that's what I was just going to go to. And I want to hear what you have to say about that. But if you're, if you're peeling back the things from the status quo that I'm calling it, and you're taking things away, it feels like depletion or elimination, even though you're doing it for health. And so, yeah, there's another side of it. There's like a, 
oh, if I do this, I actually feel really good. And if I take a walk, it's super better than, than the glass of wine. So what are you um, advising women to start replacing with, I mean, a spiritual path? (laughs) Right. Well, you know, I, I, I actually kind of recommend several different things, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people want it for the social connection. Yeah. You know, and I get that, you know, and our, our social connections are often set up around bars or wine with dinner, you know, when you, when you yeah. go have dinner with friends. Um, so one of the things that t- tends to work pretty well for a lot of people, if you're, you know, into it is, is actually replacing it with kombucha. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you kind of have that feeling. A lot of times I think it's it's the feeling of doing something versus the, the actual effects of it, you know? Um, oh, yeah, the warm, warm mug in the morning like abs- instead of absolutely. coffee, replacing it with a coffee substitute. It's still the warm mug. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and even things like you know, if you're going out doing something like mocktails, mm-hmm. um, just something that feels special. So I always tell people, like, figure out something that feels special to you. Um, and then also, you know, I never tell people to cut it out 100%. Like, yeah. you got to do that, you know. Yeah. So it depends. Are you drinking every night of the week? Okay, yeah. let's see if we can get that down to, like, two to three nights a week, you know. And then can we see if we can just get that down to the weekends, you know. And the thing, like you mentioned before, sleep is going to be massively impacted by alcohol, particularly when you're drinking it at night. Yeah, it's going to throw off your sleep. It, you know, people think, oh, it helps me sleep. But what it does is it, it'll make you pass out. But then you wake up at two in the morning because your blood, sugar, morning. your blood sugar has dropped. Yeah. And your On body's like, high alert, you know. <laughs> and you're also, you know, if you look at Chinese medicine, that is when your liver is detoxing. Uh, so that two to four o'clock is often mm-hmm. when, you know, women will wake up after they've been drinking. And I'm like, I can't tell you, you know, you can take a million supplements, but it's not going to get you anywhere if you Mm -hmm. don't do this thing that impacts Mm -hmm. this thing. And Mm -hmm. sleep underlies so much of our health. Like, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how important that is. And that can become tougher as we hit perimenopause too because of hormonal fluctuations. So I'm a big fan of creating, you know, a nighttime ritual. And it's going to depend. If you have kids where you literally have, you know, I have a client, she's like, I have 10 minutes after they go to bed until Mm -hmm. I pass out, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, girl, get, you know, either your, your meditation app and listen to it for five minutes, mm-hmm. or if you don't have time to take an Epsom salt bath, which Epsom salt baths are yes. great because so you're getting the relaxation, but you're also getting the magnesium, magnesium, right? And magnesium is used in over 300 processes in our body, mm. hugely important for hormones. So I actually recommend most women to take mm. magnesium as a supplement anyway. And I also have like magnesium oil and I'll put yes. it on my feet and put socks on before I go to yes. bed. Like, Boom. Yes. Soak Love it in. It. Yeah. The other thing <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if you don't have time for a bath, is just to get a little foot bath, you know, just get yeah. some kind of container that you can put some Epsom salts in and let your feet soak yeah. for 10 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. some easy things like that. I'm a huge fan of castor oil packs and I, you know, I call that. this the so I call this the dirty oil or dirty castor oil pack, but you know, I'm also a big fan of the traditional way. So basically castor oil is kind of this like 
king of oils, you know, or let's say queen of oils that has mm-hmm. so many helpful things for our body mm-hmm. that um, one, uh, one castor oil specialist that I know, she talks about really like how it helps to move you from your sympathetic nervous system, which is our, you know, our fight or flight, fight or flight. freeze mm-hmm. response, which we're in most of the time mm-hmm. to our parasympathetic mm-hmm. n- nervous system, which is, you know, the, mm-hmm. the rest and um, repair. And so this is where we need to be when we're repairing our bodies, which we're needing to do daily, you know? So castor oil can help shift your body into that. And what you can do is you can do, um, you know, the, the quick and dirty version, I call it, you just rub a ton of castor oil on your tummy all over, you know, and even getting it to kind of like on the right side, just underneath your breast, which is where your liver is located. Okay. And then getting, you know, a, a washcloth that you don't mind being oily mm-hmm. and setting it on your stomach and then put a, a heating pad on low to medium on top of that. And I do it almost every night when I go to bed, like if I'm going to read before bed, you know, mm-hmm. but you can also do that earlier in the evening just as a like switch from your day. Oh yeah. Meantime, that, okay. um, real kind of real casserole packs is you get, um, you get cloth and you get, you know, you have to kind of wrap it with saran wrap and that can be a lot for people. But there is a woman, oh, I can't think of her name right now, but um, a show, Queen of Thrones. So she has a casserole pack that I haven't tried yet, but I want to try. And it basically attaches to you. And so you can wear it all night. And apparently it works just like wonders doing that way. And you don't need the heating source on there. And then you can actually put it too over your liver. And it's going to help with liver detox. Okay. So it helps with liver detox and switching into the parasympathetic. Yep. Yep. It also helps with scar tissue. So if Mm -hmm. you have scar tissue from, you know, that was really what got me into it in the first place. Um, But it also helps your reproductive system. It gets so supportive. That's why I'm like, just put it all over your stomach. (laughs) You know, just like cover (laughs) it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's such an amazing thing. And it's actually probably most of my clients, that's their favorite thing that I teach them about. I've never done it. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that it forces you to, to lie down and, you know, um, be, be with yourself. Um, and it's a good time to do a meditation or visualization also, you know, but it also, yeah, I, I can't explain it. It just feels, mm-hmm. it feels really good to do it. So those are, those are a couple of ideas. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of what else, um, I really like, if you can do infrared saunas, if that's available to you, that's hugely impactful because it's also detoxifies your body. Mm-hmm. It's going to help with that whole thing, especially if you have mold issues, which is, you know, you know, yeah. here in Asheville, we have a lot of mold um, yeah. and that plays yeah. a role too. Um, yeah. So those are a few of the things that you can do. All right. Awesome. Thank you. I want to ask you about one more topic before yeah. we complete, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, Adrenal, I'm so glad that adrenal issues are getting more attention. Mm-hmm. Like, so I feel like, especially in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. um, I had my big adrenal collapse, like crash um, around age 32. Mm-hmm. And my sister who just turned, I don't know, she's around 35, mm-hmm. um, called me last year and was like, hey, I'm approaching this adrenal thing. And our other sister said that you've already been through this, like mm-hmm. what's going on, you mm-hmm. know? And back when I was going through it, there's there's like a Oh, Sarah's just on one of her, <laughs> one of her silly yeah. things again. Yeah. And now yeah. they're like, we need your help. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'm really, I'm glad that, you know, and at that time I was going to, um, uh, an osteopath 
Mm-hmm. And she had barely heard about adrenal issues. Mm. And thankfully, my acupuncturist, um, you know, so this is like seven-ish years ago. And my acupuncturist had been through it as a woman and was like, here's what's going on, you know, and, and so helping and supporting. And so, yeah, long a long road kind of back from that. But I find that it like it creeps up. Um, so anyway, the adrenal issues are dear to me. And I think I, w- I would love to hear you talk more about them. I would also love to hear this connection with gut health because I'm sure. not sure that I know about this. Sure. So basically, you know, what they're kind of figuring out now is this adrenal fatigue is a little bit of a misnomer. Mm-hmm. It's not like our adrenals just like poop out and are done kind of a thing. Right. What happens is most of the time, your adrenals are, uh, they go high, the, you know, the, so cortisol is the main sort of hormone that comes, right? Exactly. Um, and cortisol goes high when we're, you know, going, 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 going. And often, you know, people for a while feel fine because you're like, I'm going, 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 I'm getting things done, but then I can't sleep, you know, and I'm struggling. Like my brain is going like ding in the middle of the night, you know? Yeah. Or it works when we're younger because we can like, recover right. differently, right. but right. then it catches up. Yeah. yeah. But even, you know, I was actually diagnosed with hypoadrenia when I was 28. So mm-hmm. it depends on the body, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens when it goes low and kind of bottoms out is, you know, see it, that's actually a protective mechanism from the body because it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, it's too high. This is creating, you know, a bunch of issues for mineral imbalance and, and all kinds of things. So we need to bring that back down to basically, you know, have you survive. And so then people will get, you know, say like a four point cortisol test and they're like, wow, my cortisol is like in the shitter, you know? Mm. And it's not that their body isn't necessarily producing enough. And this is just as a side note, why I love the Dutch test because it actually does a four point cortisol and it tells you your free cortisol and then your stored cortisol, which can be very different numbers. So a lot of times we'll have enough stored cortisol, but our free cortisol is low. And, you know, what this comes down to, I mean, definitely, without a doubt, you have to change your lifestyle. Yeah. Like, that's, you know, the sleep, the, you know, the getting enough um, into your parasympathetic nervous system. Often, you know, there's blood sugar dysregulation that's also going on. So making sure you get enough protein and good fats, being really consistent with that. Um, you know, adaptogenic herbs can be very, very helpful in this situation, but you can't do the diet and the herbs, you know, and even the mineral, like upping your minerals and, and not change your lifestyle. You absolutely have to. This is one of those, yeah, those things. But the way that, um, this is connected to hormone, to our sex hormones, cortisol and progesterone are very intimately connected, Right. So there's a little bit of debate in in the world. There was something called the, um, sometimes called the pregnenolone steel, sometimes called the progesterone steel, where cortisol and progesterone actually go down the same pathway um, in our bodies. And so uh, the idea was that cortisol would steal from progesterone, right? And so because your body needs to make that cortisol to survive, it's going to do that. And leave your progesterone like, kind of at bay because, you know, you don't necessarily have, have to have a baby to survive. 
Mm-hmm. And so here you have lowered progesterone, particularly if you're going through perimenopause, it's already going lower and then your estrogen gets high and lo and behold, we have all these estrogen dominant situations, right? Mm-hmm. Along with your, your you know, high cortisol that may go down. But there's another kind of theory around it is, you know, our pituitary gland is actually what produces our sex hormones and cortisol impacts, high cortisol will impact our pituitary gland. Mm -hmm. And so those sex hormones aren't, you know, basically um, being released in the way that we need them to be released. And so you start to have a really wonky, I mean, it can be incredibly wonky, you know, not just like a couple days before your period, but we're talking about month long issues. So Mm -hmm. you absolutely have to deal with your cortisol Mm -hmm. if you're going to deal with your sex hormones, mm-hmm. you know, there's just no way around it. And, and that's why, again, I love the Dutch because it gives you that full picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a client recently that, you know, her, actually her estrogen and progesterone were fine, you know, pretty good. And testosterone was a little low. Cortisol was bottomed out, you know, mm-hmm. and to me that shows she was high at some point, right? Mm-hmm. She was, she's been going, going, going. And now it's in that bottom out. And that's what we have to take yes. care of mm-hmm. first. We have to get that up. And then a lot of her hormonal issues will take care of themselves. Hmm. And is that like, is that exercise? What brings that back up? Oh, no. So you, okay. if you have low, you don't really want to be doing. Um, don't do strenuous. No. no. You want to be walking, you know, yeah. maybe swimming. Like, l- l- I mean, that's another thing a lot of women will try and push through by doing things oh, like yeah. it and all of that. And you absolutely don't want to do that. If you have the higher cortisol, that can help. And this is why it's really important to understand whether you're in high land or low land. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even with high, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend like an hour and a half of strenuous no. exercise. Like hit like 15 minutes kind yeah. of a deal, you know? Right. But if you have low, no, you really want to take, you want to set as many breaks as you can throughout the day. One of the things you want to do is first thing in the morning, and this is really hard during the winter and depending on where you live, but look at the sun. Mm. because that will actually stimulate cortisol production in your eyes. Yeah, that's part of what gets that going. And then the thing is, when you start to get the sleep better, and there's some good herbs to actually take at night, some adaptogenic herbs. Um, Cortisol manager is one that I like. Um, Integrative Therapeutics makes that, and you actually take that at night before bed because melatonin and cortisol have like an inverse relationship. Ah, okay. So you start to up that sleep, you start to, you know, up your melatonin, and that's going to help your cortisol Mm -hmm. rise in the morning, which is when you want it to go up. So there's, you know, different ways depending on what shows up on the test that you want to approach this. But really with that low, taking care of yourself, I feel that that's a huge call to like, you need breaks throughout your day. Like if you can get five minutes here and there to, you know, just meditate, breathe, what have you, use EFT, do something to get out of your, your place that you're in right now. Yeah. And, you know, without going into the long, um, information about sort of the gut and hormones, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many ways that it's connected. One is, you know, a lot of people know about their microbiome or, you know, needing kind of good bacteria in your system. And then one of the reasons that that's so true when it comes to estrogen is that we have a subset of our microbiome called estrobilum. And this is actually, remember I talked about earlier how the liver has to detox the estrogen. Yeah. So it binds up your estrogen and, you know, through the, uh, a portal, it moves it, the um, hepatic portal, it moves it down into your colon so that it can be moved out of your body. But if you're 
a strobilome is off, it can actually deconjugate that um, estrogen that has been, you know, um, detoxed by your liver and it releases it back into your body. And so Mm -hmm. here you have estrogen recycling through your body again, causing those estrogen dominant situations. Mm -hmm. So microbiome is huge you know, in order to, to have that proper thing. And so if you take antibiotics or birth control, that's going to kill off a lot of that good bacteria that mm-hmm. helps to balance all of that out. Um, there's also, you know, leaky gut plays a massive role because if you have things going through your gut lining into your bloodstream, that's causing inflammation and that has a direct impact on your estrogen receptors Mm-hmm. It has a. It really has impact on all of your hormones. So if you think inflammation in your body, your hormones are going to be out of whack mm-hmm. because of this underlying component, mm-hmm. right? Okay. That's just a couple of ways. I could go on a million different ways, but really, yeah. you, you got to get your gut in check. And it's, you know, just a quick rundown. You want your HCL and your stomach to be doing well, but that your hydrochloric acid, so you can break down the food. You want your pancreatic enzymes to be released so that you can absorb what you need to from your proteins and your fats and your carbs. Mm-hmm. You want, you know, to heal that gut so that you're not having these food sensitivities and hormonal issues coming up mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you want your microbiome doing well. Yeah. You want your inflammation to be down. And sometimes just taking care of the gut will actually level out your hormones without doing anything else. Yeah. Mm, Amazing. Amazing. So yeah, I just want to, I would really love to recommend that people contact you if there are questions about this and have these tests run, because I know at one point when I was going through that adrenal thing, I was probably taking like 25 supplements. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like a shot in the dark. You know, I was, I was like grabbing everything I could essentially to like try to make something better. And and I am talking about adrenals, gut, I mean, I was, I was taking it all because I was like, mm-hmm. what the hell mm-hmm. is going on? So I just love that you're now working with these tests, mm-hmm. that you can get the information and that you can coach really specifically for each woman's situation. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Amazing. Please tell people where to find you. Say whatever you were going to say, but tell, tell people where to find you as well. Yeah. So people can find me at my website, christinegarvin.com. And that has, you know, all of the information about um, working one-on-one and different programs that I have coming up. And I also have a podcast called Hormonally Speaking, which you can find on iTunes. And, you know, we talk about all of these kind of things that we just went into a little bit today. Mm-hmm. I talk about with people in depth, you know, and right. some really great information on that. But, um, you know, I really love, um, as I mentioned, the, the Dutch test, which is hormone test, but I also do this um, test called the GI map with people to find out exactly what's going on in their gut. It's really incredible. So it's actually a DNA stool analysis test. So we, all those things I just mentioned that you need, we see exactly what's going on. We see inflammatory markers. We see if you're digesting your fat well. We're seeing pathogens. And this is another underlying issue that um, we're just starting to understand the impact. You know, I mean, we kind of get it, right? People, the doctor put us on antibiotics when we have something going on. But there are worms, parasites, fungus, all this kind of stuff, opportunistic bacteria that's happening in our body that we don't know about. And there's a lot of natural remedies that we can use and don't have to use antibiotics. And so getting that, I mean, cause that's really your microbiome, getting all of that in check. And here we are with the GI map and that tells us exactly what's going in your body, you know, which I love. And, and then I do a food sensitivities test alongside of that, which can help okay. to, you know, specifically 
not just like, okay, which food am I having an issue with? We know exactly which foods you're having an issue with. And in order to heal your gut lining, you need to remove those foods. You have to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And luckily it's not forever. You know, a lot of these foods, it's three months. Cool. Some of them at six months, you know, and so there's a lot, lot, lot. And that's why I love this testing that we can accomplish in three months okay. based off of those results. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So educational and <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I've loved it. No, thank you so much for having me on. I love talking about it with you and, you know, hearing more of what you've been going through too. Yeah. It's very empowering. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Christine. Sure. Hey, it's Sarah. I believe that every woman has a truth that she's not yet telling, and that to own that truth changes and even saves her life. I have built a practice to help women own their truths, and at sarahpoet.com you'll find trauma-sensitive tools, practices, meditations, and a new e-course for shifting from silence to owning your sacred truth. All of my work is trauma-informed and yet helps to heal the trauma and build your core capacity to live in your own essence. I'm available for one-on-one support in one-hour sessions or longer-term coaching increments. You can schedule a 15-minute consultation to tell me how living in your silence about what is true for you is impacting your life. Together, we remove the barriers to your authentic and sacred self and help to heal the historical trauma of what it has meant to be a woman on the planet at this time. And you know what? Everything changes when we own the truth of who we are and follow the path of sacred remembering. I believe that it is the formula for changing everything from personal to global change. Book now at sarahpoet.com. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path, and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com, for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected, and here's to your path of sacred remembering.